1: Let's dive into the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ryan, Notre Dame's first opponent in week one. Big test for Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, and, and we're going to have a lot breaking down the Buckeyes the rest of this week. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a breakdown, sort of an on-paper matchup. How does Notre Dame stack up against the Buckeyes on paper? Try to give some context to that. Within that, we'll be discussing some of the matchups, the individual matchups that factor into it, whether it be. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba versus specific corner or O-line versus D-line as a whole. We'll have a lot of that Thursday. We will break down the keys to victory for Notre Dame in all phases of the game. And then, of course, on Friday, we will have our predictions for Notre Dame and Ohio State. Plus, we're going to have some fun this year with predictions. We're going to have also predictions for some of the big games this weekend. So we're going to do Oregon-Georgia. We're going to do Utah-Florida. We're going to do Arkansas-Cincinnati and maybe might pick a couple other games. So we'll see. But Ryan, let's first kind of introduce people to Ohio State. Obviously, this is one of the best teams in the country, has been for several years. It started under Urban Meyer. You know, the Buckeyes went uh, 12-0 and in 2002, and then the next year started the season off 12-0 before losing the Big Ten championship game to Michigan State, and then the Orange Bowl to Clemson. The next year, they bounced back by doing what? Winning the national championship. Lost an early season home game to Virginia Tech, but rolled the rest of the way. 2015, I would argue that if Notre Dame wasn't the most talented team in the country that year when they were healthy, Ohio State was. I think those were the two most just top to bottom roster talented teams in the country met in the Fiesta Bowl, which Ohio State won that year. 2016, the Buckeyes were a playoff team. 2017, the Buckeyes were a two. They had a down year by going 11 and two. Uh, won the I believe that that year they won uh, that they beat USC and I believe the Cotton Bowl. I think that year is either I forget which one it was, the Cotton Bowl or Peach Bowl. Yeah. Two thousand eighteen, uh went thirteen and one, made uh barely missed the college football players. That was one of those weird years, Ryan, where there's like three undefeated teams, including Notre Dame, in the college football playoff. And so they didn't get in. Oklahoma made it with a loss that season. And Kyler Murray was part of that team. Dwayne Haskins had a brilliant year mm-hmm. and they went and beat Washington in the Rose Bowl. Two thousand nineteen, Buckeyes went back to the college football playoff after an undefeated season and took Clemson down to the wire in a game that that Ohio State really controlled a lot of the action. If it wasn't for number 16 in orange and white, the Buckeyes would have uh, been playing for the championship yet again against LSU. Result probably would have been the same. That was an incredible, incredible LSU team. 2020, Buckeyes back to the playoff again after going an impressive 6-0 in the regular season uh, that year during a COVID-shortened year. No respect, no disrespect to the Buckeyes, but I'm sorry. A team that played six games should have been in the playoff that year. But Ohio State, once again, proved that they belong there. Because if you remember back in 2014, they were the controversial pick yep. over TCU and Baylor, who they had been ranked ahead of or behind the entire time. Then they beat Wisconsin, who I think was ranked 13th at the time, 59 nothing. Buckeyes said, OK, you don't think we belong here? Fine. Let's go win the whole thing and And they at least took the first step in twenty twenty blasted Clemson, who had been sort of their nemesis. I mean if you think about it, you know Clemson beat him in the Orange Bowl after the twenty thirteen season, beat him thirty one to nothing in two thousand sixteen in the playoff and then of course, the year prior with Trevor Lawrence can't had a comeback victory over Ohio State. Ohio State made sure there were be no comebacks by Trevor Lawrence in his in the last game of his career, and absolutely blasted Clemson, went to the championship game, got beat convincingly by Alabama in a game where I think their lack of opportunity that year to really be tested hurt them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, in in my opinion, and and Alabama beat them convincingly. But Alabama was going to beat whoever they played in the championship that year convincingly. That was a really, really good Alabama team. So Ryan Day has had a level of consistency since he took over in 2019. He has not been able to kind of get over that hump and win a championship. Urban Meyer won a championship in year three. I believe Jim Trussell won it in year two, correct? Uh, If I remember correctly. Sounds right. Year two or three. Uh Uh, So Ryan Day obviously has that lacking at this point in time. That's not an insult. We're just a statement of fact. I think that's the expectations in Ohio State. He did win a title in year two, by the way. way. We were correct. So that's kind of where Ohio State is. And they're coming into the season, Ryan. Top five team. Absolutely a team that people are looking at as a chance to compete for championship. And a team that I think... No matter what happens in the opener, if if somebody doesn't knock Ohio State out of the playoff, as like we've said this before, in the next first five, six weeks, like meaning a couple losses, mm-hmm. this is not a team you're going to want to be playing in November. A, a whole se- a regular season of Justin Fry coaching the O-line, a whole, a whole regular season of, of Jim Knowles implementing his defense, this is going to be a team that's going to be much more dangerous at the end of the year than they will be at the beginning, and they're still going to be really good at the beginning of the season.
3: Well, Brian, I, I was I was reminded quickly while doing the recruiting breakdowns for both sides of the coin that Ohio State's pretty talented, man. you yeah. got a lot of guys on that team, you know, it's I mean, the offense is something that I'm excited to get into because there is a lot of optimism, as there should be on a year to year basis, because I know we've had some question marks as far as like, is Ryan Day the guy that can elevate a program because he, he took over, a, a I mean, let's I'm not a big Urban Meyer guy, but, like, it was in a good spot, right? right? Like, he may be a, a bad person,
1: but yes. he's a heck of a football
3: coach. Oh, a great college football coach, and he left Ohio State in a pretty good situation. He did, and Ryan Day, you know, give him credit. He went in there, and he continued the level of consistency. But last year, there were some stepbacks. I mean, from mm-hmm. an offensive line perspective, from a defensive perspective, you're bringing in Jim Knowles, which is going to <clears> completely shake up this defensive system. So there are some question marks now entering to, what's this, year four, I believe, mm-hmm. of Ryan Day. So it's going to be interesting to see, but without question, there's a lot of talent on this roster. There's no doubt about it. It's just about can this coaching staff now develop better than they did last year because it was right. not a great football team for Ohio State last year. There was a lot of talent like there always is, and there's always going to be games where they just out-athlete people and yeah. the Jimmys and the Joes kind of rise to the forefronts but in order to be a national title contender, which they have been pretty consistently, they have to be able to develop and coach the talent that they have.
1: Been. Yeah.
3: And I, I, I think, I, yeah,
1: a yeah. national title winner. Exactly. I think they're a contender. I mean, they've played yes. for the title once. They've been in the playoff two of his mm-hmm. first three years. It's about taking that next step and getting over the hump. It's about can you develop the defense? Because like what's, you know, you like to look at that 2019 team. Talk about they kind of, unfortunately, that that might have been their most complete team. Yeah. Now their offense in 2019 wasn't as good as it was in 21, but the mm-hmm. defense was excellent under Jeff Halfley. I mean, sure 13 was. points a game. And and Clemson had to do everything they could to get the points that they got. I mean, that was a really good Clemson team that they lost to. It just the thing that hurt Ohio State that year was it just was one of those years where there were just two teams, in my opinion, that were just better than everybody else. And LSU, and then a tier below LSU was Clemson, and then a tier below Clemson was everybody else. Yeah, you know, and that included Ohio State, and and really, I would say roster wise, Ohio State might have had a better team, top to bottom. I mean, you think about some of the guys they had in the secondary that year. You had Chase Young at defensive end, but it was just the quarterback. With all due respect to Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence was just a different cat. He was just a different kind of cat. Agreed. And so, you know, the, 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 they've done a great job. It's just about can, like you said, can he can he do take him over that final hump and win a championship instead of competing for a championship and. You know, I think that there's an interesting corollary between him and Lincoln Riley. Mm -hmm. And I think they're widely considered two of the best, if not the two best offensive minds in a game. I'd say two of, because I think Sark belongs in that conversation. Sure. Lane Kiffin belongs in that conversation. You know, there's some other guys that belong in the conversation, but you can't have that conversation without Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. Here's the difference between the two. Number one, I think that that Ryan Day has had, even with his issues on defense, has still had more complete teams than what what Oklahoma had. I think I think that Ohio State consistently faces better teams. And I think that Ohio State hasn't had the slow regression backwards like Oklahoma has and and this year is going to determine if that continues or not because it was really year four where you started to see Lincoln uh, Lincoln Riley really kind of, I don't think get exposed because they were still pretty good. But where you can see, like, this isn't the same team. They don't run the ball the way they used to. They don't have the toughness they did when Bob Stoops is there. Yeah. They've really fallen back. I think in this well, regard. They, I would think... I, I just say, Brian, like, they, they
3: plateaued and then they started cutting yeah. water, I think, is right. where you get to, right? Like, they just. I would
1: even say maybe started to take. I mean, like, last year's Oklahoma team was not good compared to other teams. So, no. I, I like the moves that Ryan Day made to be honest with you. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how they pan out like this season, but I, look, Jim Knowles is a good defensive coordinator. the very yeah. least, he's a good defensive coordinator. He's never had talent like he's going to have in Columbus in the next few years. Justin Fry was a very good hire as the offensive line coach. I mean, he was Excellent a guy that hire. interviewed in 2017 or 2018 when Harry stand left. Now, honestly, far more deserving than the guy that they hired, if we're going to be honest with you. The, the players liked him. He was a kid, a Steve Adazio disciple. And you don't want to be a Steve Adazio disciple if we're talking about his job as a head coach, but you do want to be a Steve Adazio disciple if we're talking about offensive line play. 100%. There's no doubt about that. And so I thought that was a great hire. And what it showed me is they went 11-2. and two. Mm-hmm. They lost uh, two games to good football teams. They won the Rose Bowl. We saw a situation like this in Notre Dame in 2015 where the head coach was like, you know, we're a play here, a play there, mistake here, mistake there from being undefeated and playing for a championship. Ryan Day didn't have that. And so he made zero changes the offseason. Ryan Day didn't do that. Ryan Day said, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't the standard, right? 11-2, and averaging a bunch of points and all that and winning the Rose Bowl, that's not the standard. The standard is we're going to go out and try to compete for a championship. And they they Uh fell short. And he said, we're going to make the changes needed to get over the hump. And that shows me the side of a coach who understands I'm not just this great offensive mind. I need to be the head coach. And mm-hmm. that is something that impressed me about what Ryan Day did this offseason. I mean, I mean, beyond impressed,
3: if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, a lot of coaches don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, the self-awareness to make that type of move in that type of situation. I mean, it's usually it's a... Team bottoming out at four and eight that, that kind of makes that that move and you know all due respect to the Notre Dame you know kind of push there right but like usually that's not a Brian Kelly shade like there's a lot of coaches like that, that like, until you hit the floor right. you don't like go wow I need to really kind of change and reevaluate and shout out to Ryan Day I'll right. give him all the credit for that like, he he saw a good football team and he said but that's not good enough right, right? And he did it very quickly which. I mean, he has to give you optimism if you're an Ohio State fan. And, again, he's he's only entering year four. It's not like right. he's been there forever where, like, you know, you, you have kind of the leeway to make those changes incredibly quickly. Right. He may, had a very quick self-evaluation, a criti- critical evaluation for his for his young team, his young staff, and him as a young coach himself, right? So, I think that that's a lot. Of, I think mean, that's great self-awareness and a really good sign for the Ohio State. Because
1: he made there. a good defensive hire on his first staff, and he hired True. Jeff Halfley. That well, was a oh, great yeah. hire and it's great, yeah. the success they had resulted in Jeff Halfley getting a head coaching job. So it's not like he went on hired Carrie Coombs and then kept him for three years like somebody we know. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he made that hire and he realized quickly last year that he had made the mistake and he's trying to fix it. And he didn't go hire like Alex Grinch, who was you know struggling at his previous job like Lincoln Riley did. Yes. When he hired Alex Grinchway from Ohio State, he went out and got a coach that had taken a team known for offense and turned him into one of the best defenses in the country. Yes, And so, again, we'll see if it works. And Because I mean, you really never know how a hire is going to work. I mean, we think it's going to work out pretty well eventually. We both respect Jim Knowles quite a bit. But you don't ever mm-hmm. truly know. It's, so we're just throwing some reservation like we would for any other coaching hire. But yeah. on paper, it made a ton of sense for him to go out and get Jim Knowles. And so we'll see how it goes. So let's, let's jump into the – the 2022 Buckeyes, Ryan, and we're going to start mm-hmm. by just kind of taking a quick glimpse at at who they were last year. And when you when you look at Ohio State last year, obviously, as we said, the Buckeyes went 11 and two, lost to Oregon at home early in the season, 35 28, lost to Michigan in the final game of the regular season, 42 to 27, which knocked the uh, the Buckeyes out of the uh, college football playoff conversation and the Big Ten championship hunt so they got knocked out with that loss to the wolverines first time michigan had beaten them since like what 2011 and that luke fickle bridge year between you know between jim trestle and luke fickle or i mean an urban meyer it's the mm-hmm. last time michigan had beaten them and then before that michigan hadn't won in several years it was like the second win in 15 years for michigan in that which is hilarious that all the michigan fans are like michigan hasn't noted ohio state hasn't beaten michigan in a thousand days or something yeah it's because you ducked them in 2020 during a you, covid was your reason you ducked him in 2020 when you got curb stomped by Ohio State. But whatever, that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, but in, in the other games, Ryan, you had a had a competitive win over Minnesota on the road in a game where Minnesota was outplaying Ohio State for about two and a half, three quarters. Mm-hmm. Buckeyes stepped up in money time after Muhammad Ibrahim went down and uh, and won that one 45-31. Uh, Penn State battled them tough, but Ohio State, again, did what they needed to do to get the W, 33-24. Uh, but played not well at all on the road against Nebraska, but pulled out the win. And, you know, they showed last year against Utah as well as another example of, they showed they can win ugly. It doesn't always have to be everything clicking for them to get W's. And that's why we point out those competitive games is not to act like, Hey, they're beatable. Everybody's beatable, but more to point out is they don't just steamroll people. They showed last year that they also at times know how to win some of those competitive games as well. And that'll be obviously, I think a key for this Notre Dame, Ohio state game, but this right here, Ryan, this graphic right here shows who Ohio State was last year yep. and also why the changes needed to be made. These are Big Ten ranks. So as you can see, Ryan, the Buckeyes, 45.7 points per game last year, ranked number one in the Big Ten. They also ranked number one in the Big Ten in total offense, yards per play, uh, rushing yards per attempt, passing yards per game, passing yards per attempt, second only to Nebraska in yards per completion, First in rating, first in third down offense, first in overall red zone offense, and first in the in allowing the fewest turnovers possible. Mm-hmm. Now, for context, we, we the way we always do this, we kind of look at, at uh, you know how teams stack up in their conference, just to give an idea. But I mean, Ohio State's offense last year, Ryan, wasn't just number one in scoring in in the Big Ten; they were number one in scoring in the entire country at 45.7 and their their 561.2 was also 25 yards ahead of western kentucky who was the number two team in the country in yards per game so they were the most productive offense in the entire country last year and even in their two losses ryan they averaged 27 and a half points per game if notre dame could get to 27 and a half points per game in their big in their big games they would uh they would have a few more wins on their docket there's no doubt about it They'd have two wins over georgia that's for sure you know, and they they had a shot some other ones, but the other side of the coin, it was the issue, Ryan. It's it's yes. you're finishing ninth out of 14 teams in points per game, yards per game, eighth in yards per play, average 5.3 yards per play. Obviously, that's not that's not going to get it done uh, it, it, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. For just and just kind <clears> of <throat> for context purposes, again, you know, they're 5.3 yards per play. Uh, that's that's kind of close to where Notre Dame was in 2016. In 2016, when they went four and eight, they averaged five point. They gave up five point four yards per play, so not quite Brian Van Gorder territory, but creeping up on it. And that's why changes needed to be made, and they made them. Rushing yards per game, mill the pack. Rushing yards per play, mill the pack. Part of the reason that they finished that low in rushing yards is because they were so far ahead in so many games, the teams had to throw. Right, and because when teams could be competitive, they could run on Ohio State as we saw in 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 their losses last season finished 7th and 12th in, in passing yards allowed passing yards allowed can always be a little bit of a misleading stat Ryan simply because you know when you're you're up 42 to 7 the other team's going to throw the ball and yes. they're going to mean they are you know, throw it enough they're going to they're going to get some they're going to get some yards out of it 7th in yards per attempt 6 in yards per completion those are a little bit more in line with where you are as a passing uh, offense or passing defense, yards per attempt, yards per completion, I think, uh, than total yards, which are Mm -hmm. circumstance-related. Ninth in rating, pass efficiency defense, 13th in third down defense, 12th in overall red zone defense. But they were at least decent in the Big Ten for getting turnovers with 20 on the season. So that's a little bit of a statistical look at the Buckeyes, Ryan.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting numbers. I feel like we should have a Brian Van Gorder line, right? Like if it's anywhere close to Van Gorder, then it's it's in dangerous territory, right? But I mean, it's it, it's well documented how bad the defense was last year. And there's it's a coaching issue. It was a development issue. And it was, I mean, Brian, if you look at those offensive numbers, if I just kind of blindly put it up there and said, like, that's Ohio State, you would think, well, that's going to contend for a national championship, right? With how the defense has been in the past, but with what it was last year, you're not even in the ballpark, if we're being honest. like They would not have played with Georgia or Alabama last year, no. in my opinion.
1: No. Ryan, if Notre Dame had those offensive numbers, they'd have multiple championships over 100%. the last five years. 100%. I and mean, they would because of how good their defense has been. And that's that's why he brought in Jim Knowles. It's, hey, we're not going to be Oklahoma. The reason you make this kind of move is because you don't want to be Lincoln rightly. You don't want to be Oklahoma. You don't want to win 45 to 41 shootouts all the time. Cause you know, when you get to the postseason against Alabama and Clemson and some of these other teams, you're going to be able to win those shootouts that way you need right. to make stops. Right. right. And, and so that's why you make the move to Jim Knowles. Cause he wants to be the 2019 version of Ohio state, not like Oklahoma, the 2013 version of Ohio state, obviously was a team that also averaged 40 points a game. They averaged 46.9 points per game, actually more points than they averaged last year, even though I would argue that their offense wasn't as explosive or as dynamic as it was this past season. But why do they average so many more points? Because their offense had a lot more opportunities. You know, in 2019, Ohio State ran 1,069 plays. And now that was like one more game, 6.9 yards per play. They were, they were Even though Ohio State averaged 46.9, I think it's 46.9 points per game that year, 45.7 last year. But if you look at some of the other numbers, Ryan, they were 529.9 in yards per game, which is significantly lower than Ohio State this past year. They were 6.9 yards per play, significantly lower. So why did they score more points? Because they had more opportunities because the defense made stops and the defense in 2019 only gave up 13.7 points per game, gave up 259 yards per game, 4.1 yards per play compared to 372.6 and 5.3 last year. Right. So it's a big difference and that's where Ryan Day I think wants to be. He understands if you if you're going to beat Alabama, if you're going to beat LSU when they have their Joe Burrow years, if you're going to beat Clemson, if you're going to beat Notre Dame and those type of teams, you're going to have to be able to make stops. And that's why he made the move that he that he made to to get to that point in time. So, you know, when you when you kind of look at it, that's that's what's going to ultimately determine where this team is, is going to be does the move he made to bring in Jim Knowles pay off? And we'll find out, you know, obviously, September 3rd will be a first example. Mm-hmm. It, I, I would I would encourage people not to get too excited or too upset one way or the other. Uh, if Notre Dame has a, a big game, it's a defense that's going to take some time to learn. If Notre Dame struggles, it it look it, it's one Brian Van Gorder's defense also did pretty well in the beginning of his first year, so it's going to take some time uh, to really truly know. But I think no matter what happens in the opener, I'm 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 confident based on his work at Duke, and I mean he built some decent defenses at Duke. Ryan, I mean especially their secondary, they they built some really quality secondaries at Duke which is impressive when you consider just the lack of talent. And also it's important to note that, and you've made a comment about Oklahoma State, they weren't a really talented secondary. They weren't. No. Just individual players, I, they, I they
3: I don't think they were a very talented defense overall if we're being And, and a couple honest.
1: guys that I thought were really talented. I love 100%. Malcolm Rodriguez as a player. I think he's a really good college football player. One 100%. of their interior guys I thought was – I think it was like 90, 95 or 98. I forget which kid it was. Pretty good player. Pretty disruptive mm-hmm. in the games I saw. Mm-hmm. I think the freshman that they had, um, Colin was a Colin Martin or Colin Oliver? Colin was Oliver, a yep. Was a pretty twitchy kid. But like Brock Martin, he's just a – Try savvy yeah. motor, high motor type of guy. He's not a super talented guy. Their the other linebacker is just okay. Their secondary was just, you know, like, honestly, their secondary had a bunch of Clarence Lewis type guys in there athletically, if we're being honest about it, but they were yeah. incredibly well coached and incredibly well-schemed. So he's been able to get production out of secondaries that aren't going to have the talent that Ohio state will have moving forward. Now, does Ohio state have the 2015 talent or the 2019 talent in secondary? No, they don't. We've talked about that but it's still better than a lot of other people. It's kind of like what we talk about Notre Dame. Like does Notre Dame not need to get better in certain areas? Yeah. Are they still better than most teams that they're going to play or most teams in the country? Yeah. There's a lot of teams in college football that would love to have Notre Dame's secondary problem, right? I mean, a lot of teams and same thing with, you know, a lot of teams that would love to have a G how are we going to be good on offense when we've got Lorenzo styles and Braden Lindsay and, Deion Colsey, Jaden Thomas, Tobias Merriweather, Joe Wilkins, Michael Mayer. You know, gee, how are we going to be getting good on offense? There's a lot of teams that would love to have that problem. But we're talking about teams that are trying to compete for championships. And so the standard is different, and that's where Ohio State is.
3: I look forward to seeing – just kind of honing in on Jim Knowles for a second. I look forward to seeing what his his goal is year one, right? Because the places he's been, we've talked about it a bunch, it's taken – so year two, year three, to really right. get things turned around. Now he's going to have a lot more talents sure. in Ohio State than he's had anywhere
1: else. Higher expectations, too.
3: 100%. I mean, again, because we said 11-2 and two wasn't good enough. That's that's the standard that we're working with right now, right? Like they brought – I think that Ryan they brought him in because he said we need to get better quickly, not better in three years. Yeah, right? Ohio like State
1: expects to compete 100%. for a championship this year. It's not, hey, get you- – Get you and to, to your point, Ryan, you know, the thing we have pointed out, just for people who maybe didn't hear it, was Jim Knowles' first year defense at Duke and his first year defense at Oklahoma State both gave up more points, more yards, and more yards per play than the previous team where the coach had gotten replaced. But the standard, the expectations were different. At Duke, yes. he was brought in to change over something and he was you, you, you know you have time to get it turned around. So hey, we're gonna just do what we do. And then eventually recruit to it, and guys will learn it. Same thing in Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. At Ohio State, it's like you don't have a a, a year to get it right. You can't be worse than you were last year. You got to come in and change it. So that, how does he blend? We got to win now with installing his defense. That's going to be a really fascinating aspect to see what Jim Knowles does Uh, this year because it's a different standard for him.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent a different standard. Which get which is again like if you get a slow start in Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State fans are going to be like. Okay, we, we we understand. We, we knew was a, it was, was going to be a process, turnaround. right? Yeah, it was a tough right. turnarounds. <clears throat> Ohio State fans are not going to be patient like that, no. and they shouldn't be. I mean, again, the standards are high. I don't think right. they should be, and I I do think that I I I, I mean, I really like Jim Knowles. I really yeah. do because I mean, you talk about the shift, Brian. I know the Big Twelve had a little bit of a shift from an offensive-heavy conference to a little more defensive in twenty twenty one, but I mean, talk about the shift of Oklahoma State's program. They were sure. a run and gun throw the ball over the yard, all that type of stuff with the brand weed and and all that. And then all of a sudden they're a defensive led program, right? Yeah. This, this past year, like that's where they, their bread and butter was the ability to run the football and to play great defense. That's how they, they had their success in 2021. So there was a dramatic shift, but again, that dramatic shift, if there's going to be one for Jim Knowles needs to be a lot quicker sure. in Columbus than it happened well, in, St- in Stillwater, Oklahoma.
1: So just just for just for context purposes, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at uh, see what I'm trying to remember what his first year was uh, with Oklahoma State. So just give me one. It was 2018. So his first year, 2018. Actually, I was I was incorrect. They gave up. Yes. No, I was right. In 2017, the year before he got there, they gave up twenty nine point four points per game in his first year in 2018 they gave up 32.5. So in 2018, they gave up 32.5 points per game. By 2020, really, they gave up 30.2, but it was a little fewer fewer games. But then by 2021, I'm sorry, 2020, they gave up 23.5. Excuse me. They were down to 23.5. So by year three, they're down to 23.5. That's almost 10 points lower. And then of course last year they saw a big jump and went to 18.1. Now 18.1 points per game in the Big 12 is really impressive. Yes, it is. And that includes giving up that includes giving up 35 points in the in the bowl game to a Notre Dame offense. It was pretty good that day without Jim Knowles. So if you look at the Jim Knowles only led defenses, it's in the seventeens, I believe, because you'd take out the 35 points at Notre Dame and this like five hundred and some yards in Notre Dame put up on them. So It took him some time, but he was also inheriting a much worse defense than the one he's going to inherit at Ohio State. Like, Ohio State fans are all ticked off, and rightfully so, because of a defense that gave up, like, 23 points a game last year. Mm -hmm. It's a full touchdown better already starting point than what he inherited at Oklahoma State, right? So there's a little bit of a reason for it. But we're going to talk first, Ryan. As we break down the buckeyes, and we're just going to kind of give you all what our what our first first glance show is going to be. It's not going to be like this really in-depth uh statistical analysis of the matchup that'll come tomorrow. It's not going to be an in-depth X's and O's matchup. There's there's just it's more of just giving you an, an idea of what you're going to see. And we're going to first start with the Ohio State offense because this is a really fascinating offense because it's i mean ryan day is a, i believe a great game planner and a great play caller but it's not a really complex offense it's a it's an offense built on several aspects number one they're primarily an 11 personnel team that's definitely the the number one personnel grouping that they like to use and they will do some 10 they'll do some 12 they'll get a couple tight ends in certain situations they'll go under center at times much more so under ryan day than they did previously uh, in mm-hmm. previous coordinators, whether it was Kevin Wilson or Tim Beck or Ed Warner uh, or Tom Herman before them. But they'll go under center a little bit. It wasn't as effective for them last year. That was more of a blocking issue than, than anything else. I expect them to still do that this season and, and and really ramp up their run game out of that, but then also in, in hopes of setting up a, a more effective pass game, play action yeah. pass game out of that, I think is – the reason you want to still stick with that that type of thing. Because if you can establish a running game from under center on top of the other things you do, I think that makes them very dangerous. Their base offense, however, Ryan, is they want to spread people out. They're going to get wide, you know, wide receiver splits. They're going to motion. They're going to shift. Uh, they're going to start in three by one, go to two by two, start in two by two, go to three by one. Try to get you moving, get you thinking, try to out-leverage you, try to try to space you out. They want to create openings. And a lot of the stuff they do pass game wise is built around creating some sort of level, whether it's triangle concepts, whether it's straight pure levels concepts that come off mesh, whether it's vertical levels, you know, post-drags, things along those lines. They also like to do a lot of horizontal stretch. They'll run four verts, but they'll do it different ways. They'll they'll post snap switch. You know, they're number two and number three, or they're number one and number two in a, in a three by one. They'll do a lot of different things to try to get you communicating and communicating wrongly. The more you have to communicate post snap as a defense, the more chance there is that somebody doesn't get the communication and they turn guys loose. And we see that constantly. You're thinking yep. they run the same mesh type concept over and over, and yet they're still getting guys open. Why? Because they're coming at you from three by two, two by two, three by one bunch uh and they'll do different things to clear open that mesh and it's really well designed even though it's not something where you're like wow that's that's sean mcveigh level complexity it, it's not that it's but but it, I, that's actually a compliment for me yeah because they they don't have to run a million plays they have certain philosophies they do and they get to those those philosophies in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people and I think that's a big reason for their success. I mean, we could, it's its lazy to me to just say, well, it's just because they have better players than everybody else. Well, they do, but that's not why all of a sudden Ohio State's averaging 45, 46, 47 points per game right now under Ryan Day. Ryan Day, he's
3: the master. And I know listeners hear me say this all the time creating and manipulating space. That is what his game does. And I love that you started with Mesh, Brian, as like the main example. For people that don't know, mesh is crossing, right? And we'll sh- we'll break that routes. down
1: here in a little bit, yeah. Right.
3: But even in a concept of mesh that is kind of run off the same concepts of crossing routes, they do stuff like mesh sits, where they'll get someone in the middle of the field right. to sit down in the mid-hole. They'll talk about mesh rail, where they get the running back to run a wheel off of the concept. Yep. It's the same concept, but they have different things working off of it. So everything right. looks the same. Except it's about taking the defenders off guard. Oh, in which defenders they're
1: trying to, to stress I mean, I to changes like. depending on how they do it. You know, sometimes it's putting the linebackers in a bind. So, like, they'll do mesh concepts, but you got this 12- to 15-yard stop route underneath. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's two guys going on mesh. Sometimes it's one guy running across and... And they're they're creating sort of a mesh, but not in a traditional mesh sense. By they're just running through the outside shoulders of the inside linebackers, and then taking the run, like you said, the running back on a swing or a rail. So now they're actually isolating the backside flat defender with yep. a with a met with a crosser coming from the other side of the field. So it's really some com- it's not complex stuff for the offense, but it puts the defense in a lot of different types of binds. It creates a lot of need for communication. Then, when then when you factor in the fact that their guys are really talented, it makes them even better. You know, even like their spacing, their their stops. They'll do stops and comebacks on the outside. They'll do like kind of like quick out cuts, things like that. But it's all designed to isolate your their guy against your guy. So they're either going to create isolations with levels, concepts, mesh concepts, or they're going to do horizontal stretches where they're going to use wide splits from their receivers or different alignments or motions to say, hey we're now in a one-on-one concept to the boundary because of how we've been able to manipulate you pre-snap. We've now got our field receiver in a one-on-one. We've got our boundary in a one-on-one. We have our, we now know based on how you're lined up that our number three is going to be in a one-on-one on on a backside seam against, you know, somebody. Right. And so he's really good at that. And then from there, the quarterback knows where to go with the ball. There's, and, and it's not a it's not a one read clear out anything right, right?
3: like there's options off of everything yeah. there's multiple because they are trying to make defenders wrong ultimately right. they understand that a defender is going to have an obligation and a leverage to play and whatever leverage they choose to take they are going to as i knock over my water
1: he's they so are fired going up to take
3: it's, the' option I get it. Is open
1: Well, it's like even like I was talking about that backside seam concept, you know, like they may manipulate that to say, hey, we like this backside seam." But you're going to read that to where if the safety comes over, a linebacker drops, you know, you've got your your comeback on the outside or you've got your back on a swing or a back on a check down. That's another thing they do. They use their backs really well as escape valves. Number one, I think they do a lot of stuff with their backs. So they'll just run four verts and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, you've got everybody covered deep and oh shoot we didn't we didn't account for Travion Henderson just kind of curling up right behind the line five yards down the field and you check it down to him and there's nobody there you know that, or, or that's Jeremy why Rucker. he averaged
3: over 11 yards a catch last year correct. <laughs> right yeah.
1: correct yeah. correct so I mean you know he had 27 catches Mayan and Williams had nine so that's 30 plus catches right there Marcus Crowley had a catch Master T had a couple catches so I mean you're talking about Evan Pryor had a couple we're talking about like 40 40 touches to your backs when you consider how many touches the receivers get, that's a lot of production. A lot of production. And a lot of it comes on swing routes. It comes on the checkdowns. They'll run some screens, right? They do some stuff where the backs are designed to get the ball. But a lot of that is, okay, you want to bail eight or seven to take away our vertical stuff? Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'll check it down to Travion Henderson in space and we'll, we'll be good to go. We'll get the 10 easiest yards we've ever gotten in the past game. So it, it really does put you in a lot of different binds. And that's, that's what i really like about it. so let's let's
3: i think i think a quick note brian before we get into the film is that also just historically under ryan day the tight ends have also not been featured much, right? like they right. usually that's more of a wide receiver and then running back kind of supplements some of that production, which is just kind of interesting that the tight end has not yeah. been like a a really showcased player in their offense. right.
1: well, in last year with Jeremy Rucker, i honestly was some of the most production they've got had under a tight end under under uh Ryan Day. I mean, Jeremy Rucker last year had 26 catches for 309 yards. Kate Stover had five for 76. G. Scott had five. Mitch Rossi had four. That's like getting over 40 catches for their tight ends. That's a lot for them. I mean, that's yes. that, for, for what they've done in the past. I mean, 2019, you know, their top two tight ends, Rucker and Luke Farrell combined for 21 catches. They ended up only having 25 in the whole year. So to your point, they don't use the tight end a ton. I'm curious how they're going to use Kate Stover this year. That's going to be because he's a pretty athletic kid. Yep. Not nearly as big as Jeremy Rucker was. I mean Jeremy Rucker was a prototype 65 66 tight end. Cade Stover's more of like a 63, you know, 230 kind of kid, you know, with some speed and some athleticism. I'm very curious how they're going to use him this year as a blocker and then in the pass game. Yep. So that's going to be a, a a fascinating aspect aspect to what they do. So let's let's dive into film a little bit Ryan and and this is an example of what we're kind of talking about from a from just some alignment standpoint. This is a 11 personnel, a look that is a receiver, right? That is, this is a tight end right here. Okay. This is a receiver right here. And this is a receiver right here. And Ryan, basically what they're doing is they're just running a basic curl flat concept to the boundary and they're running essentially a triangle concept to the field, which is basically a curl flat with a third guy involved essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes they'll run just, just mirrored curl flat, but I don't see that a ton. Normally they're going to get a third, like a third guy to a side and, and they create some sort of tri some sort of triangle concept. So what we have here is you see up top, you see with this receiver up here at the very top of the screen, he's gonna run a basically like a 12, 13 to 15 yard stop route and call it a curl. Gonna get a mirrored route at the bottom down here. So that you're gonna get the same concept here. This is just gonna be a quick release slide. He's sort of an outlet valve, right? Hey, if they bail, just check it down here. It's basically a check down. Now this route right here is, is, is what is fascinating is, is we can't really pull up the clips because there's copyright stuff involved, but we're going to kind of walk you through it. So essentially what this is, I believe Jeremy Rucker, what his job here, Ryan is you're going to, he's running through the outside shoulder. He's going to run vertically through the outside shoulder of the linebacker. And he is going to run a stop route down here as we'll show in a second. The goal is to then put him, in a, in a situation where he now has to take the tight end, because if the tight end crosses his face and kind of comes here, if the tight end comes here in front of him, then he can pass off to the other inside linebacker and then start b- getting depth and kind of jump underneath a curl route or jump, maybe run with the tight end or the, the back. Right. And so what they're then going to do is then put this guy in the bind. OK, this guy is going to be a little bit of a bind based on the coverage that they're going to face. So. What they do post-snap is obviously then uh, run a little a, a wide slide to the running back, and they've got their their triangles. Now, the quarterback is going to make his pre-snap read of what he's going to do. My guess is here he's going to throw to the field here. Uh, and my reason for why I would say he's going to do it is just because of the corner being down. You know, It could potentially be two. safeties walked down a little bit. My, my thought is that it's going to be cover four most likely. But you also have a, a stand-up backer that could buzz the flats. It's, a, it's not a bad look for the curl flat, but I think up here, it just is a better look to the field, and that's where they end up going with the ball. And we see kind of what that play looks like post-snap. So this is kind of where everybody gets to the top end of their routes. You can see what I'm talking about. Now the safety here, he's going to play the middle of the field. So this was the quarter safety over here. He jumps to the middle. He robs this tight end. up so getting two guys occupying the tight end. And then now that safety, that flat defender is now in a bind. So you've got him outside. That's the running back, and this corner is now protecting deep because the safety's robbing down inside. Ryan, the corner is now playing the post. Well, it's hard to play the post as an outside corner playing off and then sit, stop on you know stop and drive on a curl route. Right. And that's that's the bind because if you if you're too aggressive trying to take away the stops and the comebacks and the quick stuff, then they'll just run by you. And then you're afraid of getting run by. So that's when they just will kill you with the this, this, this stop. So if you actually look at this, Ryan, they actually have a window on both sides. Yep. But I think that the quarterback rightly chooses the field side here. And you can see this triangle concept that we talk about here. Uh, you can see what it creates, the spacing that they create. This is tremendous. I mean, if you're if you're coaching this con- these concepts, mm-hmm. your stop, this is exactly why I stopped it. Look at the incredible spacing. That they create with this post-snap route concept. And you're yeah. just it's now my dudes against your dudes, and I've now created throwing lanes for my quarterback.
3: Well, and you, you talked about the the putting that flat defender in a bind with with the with the curl flat there. You're also putting that middle of the field safety in a bind too, because you have the tight end who is occupying two defenders there. And he also has to make a decision, do I stay in the middle of the field with that inside curl to the tight end, or yeah. do I close that outside that's window? this
1: guy, who is yes. now here on the tight end, just so people can see that. And,
3: and since Ruckert's able to hold that safety in the middle of the field, you see that that curl up top to, I, I would assume that that's probably Chris Alave, is now... I mean that, that window is wide open if that's where CJ Stroud chooses to go to, right? So there's a couple different options on this play, which is why it's a good, you know, a good concept and why every team uses this concept. But you can see just kind of the binds that they put in, not only right. the shallow defenders, but also the defenders working from depth.
1: Right. And this is why that de- this is why the decision, I think, to go to the field was a good one, even though I think Garrett Wilson is is here for a, a tight window throw. You Had the corner sitting back, you had the safety back, so it, it was quarters. They're trying to bracket Garrett Wilson, and they yeah. did drop that end. So, as we see here, you can see that this guy right here, the stand up end, they Maryland would drop that guy into coverage, and that's exactly what happened. So, you kind of have to treat that almost like a three by two, right? Numbers mm-hmm. wise, Ryan. And so, I do think that even though this comes open, the proper pre snap read is to go to the field, yeah. and then what would happen is, is, is what they'll do, Ryan, is they'll if this safety jumps this it was chris alave because this is garrett wilson down here if the safety stays over there and they bracket the outside number two you now got jeremy Rucker in a one-on-one over the middle of the field and they have they had no problem throwing that ball last year and 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 if you're gonna then sit in a one-on-one and have your safety bracket outside that's when they start running their mesh stuff and some of their other concepts like fine you want to bracket our outside guys cool that's right where we want to be we got some stuff for you and and speaking of mesh let's go to that concept ryan so let's let's kind of walk through this a little bit. This is one of several different types of versions of it. And, and you say like all the different, they're, exactly. So what they're doing is this is a three by one concept. What we three is just what, you know, who do you have to a side? There's three receivers to the left. You have the outside receiver. You have your slot. There's your tight end as sort of a wing position. You have your running back. And then here is your, your, I think that I believe this was Garrett Wilson out here. And so you're going to do a couple different things. This is the reason i showed this one, right? because it does actually have a pure mesh. So mm-hmm. the tight end is running a mesh with the X. Now there's multiple reads on this, but what, I, what this is clearly about the way that they do it, the tight end goes high and, and Garrett Wilson comes low. So that's a thing that you teach is that you don't have them both running at a same aiming point because then they're going to run into each other, have to avoid each other. One guy goes high. And so what, Jeremy Ruckert's job there is, his job is to cross the face, get up on, so he's going to release a little bit vertically towards that inside backer and then run right on their toes. That's what you teach them to do, run on their toes because you're trying to get them to pause because if they have to pause at all to deal with you and pass you off, they're not going to have enough speed to run out there with, with Chris uh, Garrett-Wilson, right? Yeah. And then behind that, this is what you were talking about, Ryan, earlier. Behind that, you've got you've got Jackson Smith and Jibber right here running that deep sit route, 12 to 15 yard sit route. So if the linebackers squeeze hard on that, he's running that and what it also does is it keeps the safeties from driving on the cross. So they've got a post here from from uh I believe this was Chris Alave. So that eats up the front side safety because in this alignment you're uh, you're not going to have I mean that safety's 12 13 yards off the ball. That's telling me very clearly the safety's playing post on this play. Right? So you are in The way that they played a lot, they're going to end up running both of those guys with the post, I believe, is what they end up doing on this play. So now what you've done is you've created a high-low concept right here with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson on basically a high-low concept. And, of course, if they don't cover that. Now, here's where it gets interesting, okay? Mm -hmm. So what what they do is now – who's the guy in a bind? It's this guy right here. Now, on paper right now with this alignment, if you're just talking about the receivers and the tight ends – They can account for everybody. The Mm -hmm. backside safety can drive on the sit route from Jackson Smith and Jigba. The linebackers can kind of jump. The inside backers can kind of jump the, the Jeremy Rucker backside cross. And then the flat defender here, this guy right here is just sitting in the window where he's all over Garrett Wilson. So, and then you just double team the the post route. Hey, you're good, right? Nope. Because they're Mm going to send, it's not even a wheel, Ryan, it's they're going to send this running back, and he's basically being taught to just run as fast as you can and get as far downfield as you can. He never looks back for the ball ever on this particular clear.
3: play. It's a clear out, man. It's All a clear it out. Is, it's exactly. Clear out.
1: It's a clear out, and it's an incredibly well designed clear out. And so then what you see is this is kind of what happened. So this is the back now. You can see this is the flat defender who now has to run on that. So this is what we're saying cover two. So the safety's playing post but what this corner is doing is is he's kind of running vertically until somebody threatens him well nobody threatens him until the running back comes so he's going to keep sinking because they don't they threaten him with a backside x receiver so you see Jeremy Rucker gets jumped by the backside by the by the backside linebackers then they're all over Jackson Smith and Jigba's sit route but now there's nobody here to handle this crossing route from Garrett Wilson incredibly it's like it it sounds simple but it's hard to defend because they'll do different things out of it and so what happens here is by the time the ball gets thrown I'm just showing you this open window here Ryan the ball gets thrown Garrett Wilson's going to catch it around here by that time this guy's down here and there's just nobody there I mean, you can even
3: see it on. I mean, it's a great picture right here, Brian. Because like no one's near Garrett Wilson already because Rucker did a great job. I'm sure he did. Kind of just creating. stepped
1: right on their toes, man. He right. did a
3: great job. I mean, at the it. end of the day, man, it's not a it's not a complicated concept. Jeremy Rucker is is making contact, being physical through that through that through that route um, through the routes. And you're creating a lot of miscommunication. And there's it's it's almost like an, a rub to a degree, right. right? Like there's a little bit of a rub route in, right. in this c- scenario. And you get a wide receiver wide open because it just happens so fast. And you're creating contact. That's the biggest thing. And it's not, again, not complicated. It's right. two crossing routes. But Basically, at the end of the day, it is just creating chaos right. for a second level.
1: Of the well, defense. and the thing is, too, is they teach it so well technically with the tight ends coach, Kevin Wilson and Brian Hartline, because they don't rub it's accomplishing the same thing as a rub, but they teach. And this is why I say where a lot of coaches get in trouble. And I've heard coaches teach mesh this way, mm-hmm. you know, run through his upfield shoulder. No. Cause then you're going to bang him, and it's going to end up getting a chance to be a penalty. I always said, step on his toes, run yeah. right in front of his face, step right on his toes, make him, make him cause here's the thing. If he initiates the contact, it's not a, pardon me. It's not a rub. Right. It's he hit me. Yes. Right. Make him initiate the contact. So cross his face as close as you possibly can while working across him as mm-hmm. opposed to you know running through him. Some say run through him. But no, no. That's how you get a called for a rub. Right. Yeah. That's how you get called for a pick. Excuse me. They teach it really well technically. So you don't see them doing. Uh, I mean, at times they'll pick. Right. Let's be honest. At times they sure. will. But they're so good at it that it's kind of hard to see if you're watching it live. And seeing it fast like an official, so really, really well designed concept, Ryan. And 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 if you get and here's the thing, is if you get too peaky into this, where you start kind of playing the field and start like really having guys emphasize here, they'll simply put their back opposite over here, mm-hmm. and you know, back, like into the boundary. And if you start playing like man, so then this backside safety here, he's going to drive on the sit route, and this guy's going to chase right, which some teams will do. Well, then now all of a sudden they're just sending the back on a quick swing or wheel. And now all of a sudden he's in space against what? An outside, an inside linebacker that's hoping to run with him? I don't think so. Good luck. Good right. Luck. <laughs> yeah. Or exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, if, if you, this safety is going to say, okay, no, 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 I, I got the cross by that or I got the back or I'll take this or whatever, then all of a sudden you got Jackson Smith and Jibba coming open on the set route. I mean, it, it really does put you in a lot of different binds. But here's the key for Notre Dame and any other team. How many people they have in pass pro here, Ryan? Because they got five out, right? So they got Mm -hmm. like one, right? One, two, three, four, five, five out. So it's a it's a five man protection. Yep. This is why it's important to get pressure on the quarterback. Is look they're gonna they're gonna attack your coverage with as many options as they can, as often as they can. Now they'll put their backs in pass pro, and they'll do some some. Their version of Max Pro, Ryan, which to me is normally 11 personnel in the tight end and back both staying in. That's their version of Max Pro. They'll do that. But in a lot of snaps, Ryan, a lot of snaps. They're trying to get five out, even if it's a quick check down. Hey, nobody's blitzing right away. So, bam, I'm getting out. Not, yeah. not chipping on an end, not doing that kind of stuff. If that guy doesn't come right now, I'm getting out they're going to try to stress you that way. So it puts a lot of pressure on your defensive line to say, don't let CJ Stroud look at this pocket. Now this guy's coming free late, mm-hmm. but on a crossroads, it's okay. You came late. I'm just not, I'm just getting this sucker out real quick to five yards and, and we're out the gate. And, and that's what and makes that's, it do- difficult.
3: That That's the nature of the space game too, is that in the space game, you want to get the ball out quick, right? right. Like you manufactured and created space quickly here in this offense and the quarterbacks Become almost a point guard at this point, right? Like get the ball out quick and let let your players work. Because we saw Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigma, all those guys, they can do incredible work just with a sliver of space, right? So mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is that these quarterbacks get the ball out quick and there's these are the concepts that get guys open quickly.
1: Yeah, I, I really like these concepts, Ryan. Uh, they are a team, like I said, that that is offensively. And then, of course, when they're really rolling, they are running the ball. And I think that's the yes. thing is is trying to get you as close to the line of scrimmage as possible so they can take shots. Now, they're not a team that when you break down the film, they're not a team that makes a living throwing the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. They don't throw the ball down the field like a million times a game, no. but they have no problem going there if you if they need to no problem going there
3: that's the other thing is like with mesh and stuff it can kind of lull you to sleep on like the second and third level as a safety like it can kind of lull you to sleep a little bit because you're like i i need to come up right like i need to cut off the mid hole i need to come up on the cross do all that type of stuff and then that's where they hit that backside post occasionally Right. right like that's 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 the big money play and i think cj CJ's pretty good uh, as far as a deep ball thrower. Like he yeah. makes you pay for the attempts that he has. But I agree with you; it's not like the big, big part of their offense. It's more right. we're going to run our offense, and then when we have our shots, we'll take it.
1: He was over he he was over fifty percent last year on deep balls. Which is if you're at, if you're at fifty percent as often as they throw deep, you're in pretty good shape, in my opinion. Throwing yep. the deep ball, I, I, so that's what I think. I mean, look, you look at last year, Ryan. I mean. CJ Stroud last year threw 62 deep balls. Mm-hmm. Last year, on let me see his total attempts here 443 attempts, threw 62 balls that went at least 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. Jack Cohn last year had 385 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. He threw 54 deep balls. Very, very similar rate of throwing right. deep. Very similar rate. Now, of course, the difference is, is Jack Cohn was in the 30% percentage area in completion rate. and. They were you know higher. I mean, I think Ian Book in 2019, I think is what it was. The year he had Chase Claypool and and uh and Cole Komet. That year Ian Book threw four hundred and two pass attempts, he threw sixty-three deep and had a fifty-two percent completion rate. So, I mean, Notre Dame threw the deep ball in twenty nineteen at a higher rate than Ohio State did last year. Like, that's the thing. It's like they're not a team chucking it down the field. They st- they will strategically go after you, but they're not going to just – what they are going to do, to your point, is their yards come from getting dudes in space in catch and catch-and-run opportunities. Or yes. where I got the ball and I got to beat one guy. And that's mm-hmm. what co- – hey, co- coach is like, look, man, I'm, I'm drawing this play up. You're going to get the ball. I need you to beat one guy. That's, right. that's your job. My job is I did all these other things. That's your job. Mm-hmm. So let's break down the Ohio State defense a little bit, Ryan, and 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 this is a you know we'll be somewhat a little bit more brief with this just because there's a lot we don't know about how he's going to adapt his personnel to Ohio State's or his scheme to Ohio State's personnel, but there are some things that I think that reflect kind of who Jim Knowles is mm-hmm. at Oklahoma State and at Duke. He was a five DBs on the field kind of guy. More often than not, five, three safeties. He was that way at Duke. They had three safeties on the field all the time. And his last secondary at Duke, I thought, was one of the most underrated secondaries in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I thought I thought that group unit was pretty good. I mean, I remember watching that 2017 or 2016 Duke team that wasn't a very good team, but you could even see it then because those guys were really young. You could kind of see, like, they got some athletes now running in the secondary. They might be okay in a couple of years. And they ended up having – a pretty good defense for Duke when you consider the overall lack of talent. But, you know, we, we're we going to see a, an aggressive defense, but not necessarily – He I wouldn't call his defense blitz-heavy last year at Oklahoma State. It has been in the past, but more of a two-linebacker defense. I mean, the basic structure of what he's always done is sort of a 4 two, 5 Yes. Now, personnel. Now, out of the 4 two, five personnel, we'll see different things. But I kind of feel like, Ryan, that has been the predominant Personnel grouping we've seen from him at Oklahoma St. Duke. Now, will he do that at Ohio State? We've heard things about 335 and also. I just think a lot of that is just, you know, mind games. I, yes. I think they're going to be 425 personnel. And like Notre Dame last year, at times, out of that, you'll see maybe a Jack Sawyer type of person moving around like mm-hmm. Isaiah Fosky did and stacking or dropping and things like that. But I think this right here, in this graph right here, is a, a, somewhat of a this is kind of who they are right from yes. a personnel standpoint we'll see different looks uh but you know but here it is basically it's it's four four down and this is a true four down personnel i believe this was colin oliver right here if Standard i uh, believe pressure. correctly and they have yep. two interior guys in a defensive end two linebackers and then you have the safety here this is tanner mcallister who transferred to ohio state then two back end safeties and two corners now they'll move What I like about what they do, Ryan, is they'll move guys around a lot. There's actually a a play here. Let me see if I can get to it. Uh, I don't know if I saved the play or not. It looks like I didn't save the play. But when I broke it down, it was a four down. uh, It was a three down look. Mm -hmm. And they had the Viper. So that would be this player right here. They had this guy right here. Uh, He was to the field, kind of off the ball. And they had an odd front. Odd front mm-hmm. meaning three three down linemen. Set. So you had a nose, a guy over the nose, and then two linemen over the tackles. Yep. One was sort of like in a four eye, and the other one was in a five. But the interesting thing is personnel wise, the guy that was weak side here, so like baby, basically like this guy right here, was actually their defensive tackle, their defensive end, and their their what would be like the Notre Dame Viper were actually lined up side by side. So the one defensive end was to the field side as a kind of like a head up, like look looked like it was close to a five, maybe five, four-eye, uh, if I remember correctly. And then the Viper was outside of him. So, again, it's about let, what matchups do we want to do? And he'll, he has no problem moving a defensive lineman around, giving you the same look, but saying, hey, I want to get so-and-so in this matchup against this blocker. And I think that's really good coaching. You'll see Tanner McAllister here, as we showed in another look, Ryan, that you had uh, here, this one right here. Now against eleven personnel uh, from Baylor, now he's in the middle of the field. This is a three safety look. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't often stay there. Sometimes they'll they will. They'll kind of got, got like you know have the three safeties playing third you know thirds and having corners up. But usually one of these safeties is going to insert from somewhere. But what I like about what they do. no also Ryan, as you see here, um, we'll just kind of walk through some of these. But one thing that I that I like, Ryan, and I'll have you start breaking this down is. One thing you have to be prepared for is right here. There's at least eight guys that you have to be prepared for coming on this particular play on this snap right here, Ryan, if you remember correctly, because this is what you broke down. This guy right here, McAllister fires yes. at the snap. They'll bring this corner down here for fire. So as an offensive coach, Ryan, you have to be prepared for them to bring somebody from just about every spot, including the, the third level of the defense.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it's a good way to to kind of to phrase it, Brian. Is you know, Notre Dame fans are very familiar with a four two five, right? Like they've seen it under Elko and Lee, and you know, a little different under Marcus Freeman, but still, there's there's some there's some known there from a four two five. Oklahoma State. Compared to how Notre Dame used their rover, who's kind of more of a linebacker safety hybrid type player, they use a true like four two five nickel look, right? So like that guy is a true defensive back. And in this look, the biggest takeaways I have from Jim Knowles last year is they don't, and we talked about this before the show, they don't like stunt and twist a lot up front. They will slant
1: mm-hmm. the defense
3: the line a lot, and they'll bring a defender from an unoccupied gap. So like this, let's
1: just explain that that real quick, Ryan. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the difference here, right. So when we talk about a, a stunt is so on this particular play, for example, Mm -hmm. a stunt would be this defensive tackle right here. This guy right here is going to work outside. So you can see that he's going to work outside. And then this defensive end will kind of loop around this way. Yeah. Right. And so like, they kind of, it's like a post snap switch. That's a stunt. What Ryan is saying is they'll slant and they, Talk about the job they did with that against Baylor too, Ryan, since a lot of these clips are from the Baylor game. But I went back and watched the Oklahoma game. I watched the TCU game, Texas Tech, uh, the Notre Dame game, which is I didn't watch a ton for this prep because it wasn't Jim Knowles running the defense. Mm -hmm. A slant is basically like they'll all kind of go in one direction. So they'll start here, but then they all slant a gap, a gap or two over – In in that regard, so that's the difference between a stunt and a slant, just so people understand, um, just people understand that. But please, Ryan, continue. Yeah, no,
3: I'm sorry. Yeah, and in this play specifically, they slanted all the defensive linemen to the boundary. To the left. So they went to the the left is left, Correct. Yes, to the defense's left. And then they brought Tanner McAllister, who is that slot defender, to the top. They brought him off the edge. So they end up getting five rushers on this play but basically what happens is that t- that defensive end to the top of the screen who is tyler Lacey, he slants and now becomes a b gap player mm-hmm. inside of the tight of the offensive tackle and the safety who is tanner McAllister again in the nickel he basically becomes the he basically becomes the contained player at that sure. point he's almost a defensive end at that in that right. in this regard right so you're bringing five a lot. I noticed that they also like to take the will linebacker and they'll slant away from wherever the will is and they'll let him go A or B Mm -hmm. gap as well. That was Malcolm Rodriguez in their defense. So they like to bring one occupied unoccupied second level defender whether that is a inside linebacker whether that is their nickel, they're going to bring pressure. a corner, to play. they'll, they'll yeah. bring
1: their corner here. Yes, They'll bring corner their fire. safety from here. They don't do this a lot. They don't bring their third-level safety a lot, but if they see something, they will. You know they what will. they
3: also like to do, Brian, is in that three-safety look, they'll put Tanner McAllister as the ins- the middle of the field safety that we saw, like that three safety look. Right here, And a lot of times they'll bring him up and they'll just fire him in an A yeah. or a B gap. As, right. as, a, a, as a run a stunt, not a blitz.
1: Yes. As a, nope. Like not a blitz as far as they're trying to sack the core. It's, it'll be like a first and 10 play where they're Nothing. just trying to get a different guy into the box. But, and, and so the reason that they'll bring this guy, the reason that they slant to bring him open, it's not to make sure there's not two guys coming off the edge. I mean, that's part of it. But the other thing is, is you're slanting away from that fire because you're trying to get the eyes of the offensive lineman going away from where you're bringing that that blitzer. Right. So if your left tackle's thinking, "Oh, this guy's crossing my face," if he looks inside for a second, it's going to be hard for him to then get back outside to a well-timed. And, and, and if you have an athletic guy there, a well-timed blitzer. So it really requires great eye discipline and scheme discipline from your offensive tackles in, your, in this situation. But then also the same thing is true of your centers and guards, you know, because they'll what they'll do is like they'll slant these two guys here. These two inside guys will slant to their left and they'll bring, you know, they'll bring their will and fire him across. Right. And then that safety just comes down to to protect him here, which you'll see here. So really impressive stuff, Ryan. Here's another example of that look. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, against a three by one with a tight end. We showed this because this is something we expect to see a lot of from Notre Dame. I'll say this too. If your receivers aren't bringing their lunch pail and ready to get after it in a run game, if, if, if Ohio State's secondary is anything like Jim Knowles, secondaries at Oklahoma state, they're going to, it's going to be, it's a street fight in run game. I mean, oh, yeah? it is. It is. They will blow your run game up with their secondaries. Screen, they'll just...
3: Screen game too, man. Oh, they, yes. They'll, they'll come. Because they will smack
1: you, and if you're not ready for it, and Baylor's receivers in this game did a really poor job blocking, in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. they got they got back after them in the in, the cha- in, the SC, in the Big 12 championship game, but they did not do a good job. And, of course, this is Coach Stuckey's unit. They I don't think they were prepared for the physicality of the Oklahoma State secondary in this game. They were yeah. much more prepared for it in the second game. And which is a game they won. But in this game, they weren't ready for it. Speaking to the physicality of the
3: secondary too, Brian in in this three by one look where so three wide receivers to the top of the screen and a tight end to the bottom of the screen to the short side of the field. A lot of times some coaches will instead of putting the corner near the tight ends, they'll actually flip the safety in the corner Mm -hmm. to get the more physical run defender as kind of that alley player. But they don't switch much in Oklahoma Mm-mm. State. They're like, our guys are all physical. To, to be right. a good defensive back in Jim Dole's system, you need to be physical and you need to be willing against the run at all times, whether that is cornerback, whether that is safety. So they don't do like the matchup to like, oh, my, my I need a better run defender here. I'm going to put my safety here. They have all the confidence in their nickels and their corners and their safeties to be a a, a plus player in the run game
1: at no all doubt. times. Now, they're also going to do a lot of this. They're also going to play a lot of cover one. Or the, the, it looked at times if they were playing cover two, Ryan, like pre-snap, they'd show cover two, but then somebody would roll. A, the, one yep. of the safeties would come down and the other guy would roll. So a lot of cover three, to cover more so cover one. Saw so a lot of that here. This is against Baylor as well. And this is basically bringing the robber Down boundary side. So you're essentially – this is a 4-4 four, four essentially for all intents and purposes, Ryan. Now obviously you're a space 4-4 four, because four, you got that nickel out in the slot. But this is basically a 4-4 defense, and yeah. they'll do this a lot, and they're going to beat you up at the line of scrimmage. I would be shocked, shocked, after Jim Knowles watched Notre Dame's receivers last year against Wisconsin, Purdue, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State, if they don't think we're going to come out early and beat Notre Dame's receivers up, right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we hope that Notre Dame's better prepared for that, but if you're talking about last year's Notre Dame film, Mm-hmm. I mean, when they tried to play off in the bowl game in the first half, Notre Dame ate them up because yes. they had they, The reality is, look why Notre Dame's receivers were faster than Oklahoma State CBs. I mean, Tanner McAllister, who's at Ohio State now, starting for Ohio State, tried to cover Lorenzo Styles on the first snap. You know, the first drive of the game, and Lorenzo torched him. Mm-hmm. You know, Braden Lindsay multiple times, multiple times, just straight ran by Oklahoma State corners, just straight ran by him. Kevin Austin, they couldn't stop. So what they do in the second half, we are going to beat them up at the line of scrimmage and Notre Dame's receivers. They took away the RPOs with the alignment and then beat them up at the line. And the Notre Dame receivers had a tough time getting free. I'd be shocked if they don't try that against Notre Dame this game. And so I think we will see a lot of this. Now, what they'll do here, Ryan, is the reason I wanted to show this is this is an example of them just doing it Mm pre-snap. This is how they end up a lot, though. But they'll just do it from two safeties back, sometimes three safeties back, and then guys will rock down post-snap to get to this. But this is still how they end up a lot. And that's why they were really good against the run last year. Now, the key is they trust their corners, number one, to win at the line of scrimmage. And number two, their thought is we're willing to risk some one-on-ones down the field because we don't think your quarterback's going to have enough time to get the ball down the field. well, and, that's, and that's something key. they bank on as well. And that's
3: key in this look, right? When we're in a, a, a cover one situation where, again, cover one, we have one safety to the middle of the field, and we are man across the board. That is mm-hmm. what we're looking at here what the reason that they want to do this and why a defense wants to do it in general is because you want to bring pressure, right? Like when you mm-hmm. bring pressure, it is much easier to bring it when you are in a man look comparative to, to a zone look. Cause there's, there can be a lot of miscommunication in zone. If you're bringing an extra man, if you're bringing a blitz, they are an aggressive defense. Well, they were last year, I should say, where again, they would bring a Malcolm Rodriguez. They would bring that safety off the slot. They would do those different types of things. But in order to do that consistently, Playing man coverage makes a lot of sense, and that's why you see this right here. I mean, they're in press, they're in man coverage, they're, sa- they're man across the board, and they have one safety in the middle of the field. So they are gambling, to your point, Brian, a lot of one-on-one opportunities here, but they think that they are obviously going to create the pressure and make enough so that it won't hurt them ultimately. Right.
1: Because you look last year, Ryan, obviously their, their ends got a lot of pressure. Brock Martin – uh had nine sacks last year colin oliver the freshman had ten and a half sacks but the year before calvin bundage who was a linebacker led their team in sacks with seven yep. Yep. you know t- which to to ryan's point the year before that um amen og bung uh, linebacker shot it, it yep. was a linebacker led their team in sacks so They will blitz if they don't think they can get pressure on the quarterback. They're going to get pressure on the quarterback some way, somehow. But last year, they had defensive linemen that they trusted to win, and they didn't bring as many blitzes. So that's going to be a fascinating thing, too, is he has shown he will blitz if he needs to heat you up, and he has no problem doing that. Last year was interesting because he didn't blitz as much, in my opinion. At least the the five six games I broke down mm-hmm. last year, getting ready for the bowl game, and then of course looking at those again and, and a couple others this year is okay. Is he going to be more like the twenty twenty and twenty nineteen defenses? You know that were more linebacker uh, oriented in regard to their 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 disruption. I mean, you look at like last year, for example. You know, Malcolm Rodriguez had 15 tackles for loss. He was a brilliant player, but three of their other top four tackle for loss guys, Colin Oliver's 15 and a half, Brock Martin, 14, Tyler Lacey, you pointed out, 11 and a half, were all defensive ends. Well, the year before, their two top tackle for loss guys were Trey Sterling, a safety, and Calvin Bundage, uh, a linebacker. 2019, their top three tackle for loss guys were DBs or two of them were, uh, well, Malcolm Rodriguez was listed as a safety. He was kind of playing outside a little bit. But yeah. their top two guys, their top three guys were were lineback- two linebackers and a safety. And and so, again, th- that's an example of Jim Knowles saying, hey, we're going to build around what we do what or what who we have. So the philosophy didn't change, but the emphasis would change, Ryan, based on what he felt about his personnel. He had a lot more faith in his defensive line last year than he did in 20. 20- I mean, you just go watch the film. He didn't have a ton of faith in his defensive line in 19, a little bit more in 20, 2021. So, okay, these cats can get after it. So we're going to let them be more disruptive, which to me is partly why they were so good last year. If if And that's the thing about Ohio State is can his defensive line be as good and disruptive as his Oklahoma State defensive line was last year? If it is, then this defense is going to be much, much better. If it isn't, he's going to have to heat people up with pressures, and that's going to expose their secondary to more one-on-one situations. And Again, some teams won't matter because they're going to be better, but that's the hope that Notre Dame is going to have is, like, do they have enough athletes with Mayer and Styles and Lindsey and the running backs to say, hey, look, if you're going to bring pressure because we're, we're picking up your D-line or we're getting movement against the run on you and you've mm-hmm. got to insert more people into the box or insert more people into your pass rush in certain situations, then, then we have stuff that we can win with. That's going to be a big key for Notre Dame because Oklahoma State is going to make them beat them in on the perimeter. I, I guarantee that 100%. They're going to make Notre Dame beat them with their perimeter players and be aggressive with their box. That's the, And that's why I think this right here is why, one, we wanted to show people.
3: Well, I would I would say this too, Brian. I don't think, it, to your point, I don't think it's a coincidence that the best year Jim Knowles had at Oklahoma State was a year where they could win with four up front, right? Like a they, lot. The, where they yeah. could get home with those four, and they don't have to bring extra blitzers. My biggest thing is, as a defensive guy, right, and I think most defensive coordinators would agree with this, I want to be aggressive when I feel like it, right? Yes. Like I don't want to have to be aggressive because I have to, because I well, can't create that pressure. You've heard,
1: I've said thing. this in the past, Ryan. I said, is a defensive, and you're saying the exact same thing differently. This is what mm-hmm. Ryan just said is what you all have heard me say a million times. A defensive coordinator wants to blitz when he wants to, not because he has to. 100%. You're always aggressive, but I don't want to bring numbers unless, you know, because I have to. 100%. I want to bring numbers because I want to. I know I can attack this protection here. I know I can run stunt here. I, I want to, especially in the pass game, it's a little different to run game because, you know, you can do run fits and you can get a little bit more aggressive with your run stunts. But when it comes to pass, like pass, like you know a team's going to pass or you're in a passing situation, you don't want to have to bring a lot of pressure because that's where teams can really hurt you. Because now you, you yeah, okay, we have to do this. Not you don't want to. You don't want to do it because you have to. Mm-hmm. Because now you're exposing yourself because you're not able to get pressure with your front four. The other team knows it, and they're going to do more things of leaking things out now. And I did find out. So as I was breaking down film last night, I was reminded of remember the play to Chris Tyree, mm-hmm. that that uh, the 50 yard touchdown pass. Yeah, I know the exact moment that Tommy Reese said we're going to run that play. It was okay. against Oklahoma, and they did the same exact blitz, and Oklahoma leaked their back out. Now they didn't throw to the back. Uh, Caleb Williams threw a deep shot, but if he would have looked to his back, it would have been the exact same play. Now I'm curious how Oklahoma State's going to – how Ohio State's going to handle that. I want to see how he disguises this mm-hmm. year. Like they didn't – the one thing I didn't think Ohio State was or Oklahoma State was great at last year, when they were going to come, you knew they were coming. I mean, they, right. they weren't – they didn't disguise a ton when they walked up. They dropped a, a guy. What it wasn't – I mean, they are like, hey, here we come. And right. knowing the Big 12 was good enough to beat it, Notre mm-hmm. Dame was. So, what are the adjustments he's going to make? There is going to be another interesting aspect of it, and, and so it's and he's going to have some linebackers that can run. I mean, mm-hmm. look, Steel Chambers can run, Cody Simon can run, Dia, Diamante Trainum can run. Uh, he's got some guys can run, and you see Taraja Mitchell's not most likely not going to be starting lineup. I think they're going with a little bit of a smaller you know linebacking core than they had a couple years ago. Sure. Uh, Taraja Mitchell didn't start. I don't think started last year either. But he he was a, a more productive guy two years ago because I think they're they're going away from the bigger middle linebacker and going more with a speed group because which I think is, they want to get athletes what, more athletes on the field,
3: which is what they had at Oklahoma State, right? And I think that's also why Ronnie Hickman's going to be playing a lot more towards the line of scrimmage than maybe he did last year because he's I do think Jim Knowles is definitely trying to get more athletic on the second level I think that's priority I mean Malcolm Rodriguez does not look like your traditional linebacker Brian but he was a
1: fantastic football he really was he really was great at block destruction but not only that but he was great at not getting blocked and that's going to be a key for these linebackers is is how quickly can they get to that point I mean there were times around where he would just step down and he just was he could just see where the line was coming to just quickly okay go right here and just beat him it's like how did he beat him there he was he's just so he was, quick and his hands were so good
3: and i know he was a, a wrestling background right mm-hmm. type of thing but like he was just so strong man yep. like it didn't make any sense for his body type and there's a reason that he's on the lions now and he may start this year so there's yeah. there's a reason for that and i mean hats off again to jim Knowles. that's the, his guy right like he developed him and that i think that that's Long-term, what you can expect, Jim Knowles, is to develop good football players in the system. But again, the question is, what is it going to look like in 2022?
1: That's going to do it for our breakdown of the Ohio State Buckeyes from a first-glance standpoint.